Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good afternoon to those of you in the United States, and good evening to those of you in the United Kingdom, and uh, basically hello to everybody listening all over the world at different times who download this show as a podcast. You're listening to V Radio. Um, be sure to check out my website, vradio.org. That's v-radio.org or v-radio.org. Um, there you can find the archives of more shows like this one, including two other shows with Mr. Veach. Um, <clears throat> lots of other great interviews. Uh, probably one of the best I had not long ago was uh, when I had Peter Joseph from Zeitgeist and Ben Stewart from Kymatica and Esoteric Agenda and Roger Stahl from Militainment and his upcoming film, uh, Returning Fire, uh, which is going to be a documentary exposing the video game culture and how it's militarizing our children. Now, uh, that being said, um, Mr. Veach, I know he had to step away for a moment, so he will be coming back to the call as soon as he's ready. And in the meantime, I'll go over a few announcements. Um, I've actually been talking to a group recently about a website project that they're working on, um, wherein we'll be discussing different ways that post-collapse uh, people could organize themselves. Um, that's uh, something I'll probably be doing a radio show on more in the future. Um, in addition to that, uh, I was given permission to start the uh, quote-unquote official um, Fans of the Love Police Facebook. Uh, you can find that on Facebook, and I want to stress that this is really important, that this is not a Zeitgeist Facebook group. Um, Charlie, you know, obviously doesn't mind if we post some Zeitgeist stuff there, but I want people who are fans of the Love Police who may not necessarily agree with the, the resource-based economy or the Zeitgeist movement to still feel that they are welcome. So when posting there, please don't just spam it up with Zeitgeist stuff. If you guys want to do that, by all means, you can go to the Fans of the v, Fans of V Radio Facebook group and do that to your heart's content. Um, in addition to that, um, we also uh, I have like uh, forums set up on v-radio.org, um, where you can set up communication there. Um, those forums are also welcome to anybody who's willing to uh, avoid personal attacks and ad hominem and excessive logical fallacies. You don't have to be a supporter of the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist Movement to enter into debate on those forums. I've already had people from my past show up there testing to see if I would ban them, and as long as they don't break the rules, I don't, you know, they don't, they don't get in any trouble. The idea is, is to try to create a circumstance where free discourse of ideas can take place and good conversation free of any concerns that people may have over being attacked personally or anything of that nature. And I've been working a lot on the uh, the systems of, you know, the uh, no coercion, essentially the non-aggression principle, and I've been exploring different ways to apply it. And I feel that the non-aggression principle should also uh, – include verbal and mental aggression. So um, in addition to that, recently it occurred to me that we should apply the non-aggression principle to the earth that we all live on, the environment itself. And the reason for that is manyfold, aside from, you know, it's not even about any spiritual beliefs, although I'm sure that that works just fine with many other people. It's just from a logical standpoint. If I pollute the earth or destroy it, even if it happens to fall on my quote-unquote private property, it still is going to do damage to the rest of the people who live here. And it invariably is an act of aggression on everyone who lives on this planet when we do things that are destructive to this planet. Um, Charlie actually contacted me today. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten back, but he is still on the call. I'm just waiting for him to return. Um, 
And uh, this was kind of impromptu. He just kind of said, hey, we should have a radio show today. So I brought him on. Um, to those of you who haven't been checking out uh, the new stuff that's been going on over at the Love Police, there's lots of great videos over there. And uh, recently, for example, uh, um, Charlie's girlfriend, Silky, um, in addition to Charlie, you know, they managed to get into a meeting where they got to discuss with this ex MI5, or I don't remember the exact designation, but the, you know, the British intelligence group, uh, they had a guy there giving a speech about how horrible WikiLeaks was and trying to convince everybody else that it was this big, terrible thing. And uh, Silky put him on the spot with an extremely well-placed question. And I think it was an excellent example of how to address these things because he couldn't dismiss her saying that she was attacking him or uh, could not dismiss her saying that she was just some crazy person. She conducted herself extremely well. And as a result, the man was forced to try to you know, talk to her. He, of course, didn't really say anything of any substance. Um, he just did his best to deflect, but it didn't look so good for him. And uh, Charlie, in his um, activist ninja ways, managed to sneak himself in there with a camera uh, because filming was actually forbidden um, in that instance. But um, you can check out that video uh, recently on um, his blog. Um, I believe it's cbeach.org, pretty sure. Um, and uh, he's got a couple of different videos set up there. I've also recently watched the, the Battle for Parliament Square, which is another excellent uh, video put together by the Love Police with some footage of the police um, fighting the, the student protesters. You know, and it's interesting to me, especially about that issue, is that you know, there were some people from the left uh, because you know, they, that were participating in that protest. And I think that it's it's good that the the Love Police cover both ends of the spectrum, just people who are fighting against government on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, for those of you who uh, listened to my uh, debate with Stefan Molyneux, uh, he has asked that we do another show. He's still preparing for it. And I guess his intention is, is that he wants to see us both give presentations to each other's audience. I imagine that the point behind that show is going to be along the lines of just kind of a you know presenting our ideas to each other. Um, he seems to feel very confident, I guess, that uh, the free market concept will you know in some way catch on. Um, in other news, uh, we had an interesting conversation with a guy who calls himself Venus Projection. Um, came onto Teamspeak for a while, and to anybody who says that we're just out to silence all dissent, you know, we sat there and talked to that guy for like seven hours. Unfortunately, it proved to be a huge waste of time, but it doesn't change the fact that we did give him an opportunity to give to say his part. Unfortunately, it ended up just kind of being one of those filibuster situations wherein the guy just repeats the same thing over and over again and is hoping you'll just give in and give him his way. But um, we did our best to talk to him and to, you know, to try to, you know, assuage his fears. But what it really came down to, unfortunately, was that he just he doesn't really have a lot in the way of solid debate he just, he had some assumptions about certain things and particularly about the theoretical ideas of what could happen with the singularity um and because of the fact that jack fresco has talked about uh, ray kurzweil's books at different times uh, as has peter joseph you know he made a lot of basically took a lot of uh, liberties so to speak, um, with what was to, what, what, where that where that would lead, what those essentially what that conclusion would be. So um, that conversation was recorded, and uh, we're debating on what we want to do with it because, as it is already the little bit of it that was on YouTube, um, some guys pretending to be members of Anonymous 
um, took little snippets of it and tried to take it out of context to further their goals. It never ceases to amaze me the amount of time and energy these people are willing to put into this um, and how far they're willing to go to, you know, to spread their, you know, this, I mean, it, it, I hate to just, you know, give the, the standard canned response, but so much of it is just disinformation. It's uh, just like taking things out of context. And that's one of the reasons I think that uh, Aaron Moritz, who's known as Say Days Ago, is going to be my partner in the um, upcoming Troll documentary. Uh, he made his little video called The Zeitgeist Movement Exposed to kind of be a satire to, to point in the direction of just how silly things really are getting with that. Um, recently also, uh, I've engaged in some conversations with a fellow by the name of Rick Ross. Some of you may be familiar with him, I don't know, but um, and it had to do with the issue of cults. Uh, apparently, he's kind of an expert on cults, and recently some of our opposition have tried to go over there and tried to, you know, get somebody from that website to declare us a cult so that they could have their little field day. Um, so far, the whole thing is based on the idea that we have anonymous moderators, um, and that somehow automatically, I mean, it's not somehow to them, they just say automatically makes us a cult because we have anonymous moderators. When I talked to Mr. Ross on the phone, he was like, uh, that's kind of silly. I said, why? He's like, because I've got anonymous moderators. The the forum moderators on rickross.com are anonymous. You know, it's for all the reasons you said, essentially, is just that it's, you know, our moderators were harassed and still are being harassed as time goes on um, by people who are unscrupulous, essentially, and kind of obsessed is the word I would use with going after people for banning them from an Internet forum. Um, and he pointed out that, you know, he also said that the people who have suggested that we were abusive need to define what that means and that kicking somebody off of an Internet forum is not uh, cult abuse. Um, the whole thing kind of disgusts me, really, because there are people who suffer from real cults, just as Stefan pointed out, um, that the idea of calling us a cult is a cowardly, you know, attempt at an ad hom bomb. You know, he said that there are people whose children are being abused, that they're being abused, they're being sexually harassed, you know, controlled, whatever. None of that's going on in the zeitgeist movement. And it shouldn't be a legitimate tactic for people to misuse a term like that. But we have found often that's one of the things that, that really worries me the most about this debate is that uh, we're in a situation where these people are essentially using the same kinds of tactics that the mainstream media uses against, you know, legitimate people. You know, they're taking their quote mining or their uh, spitting or whatever. And you know, it's what I've found is that it's it's not very effective to debate these people on YouTube because you'll make a video and, and then they'll make a video and then you'll make a video. It reminds me of being on an Internet forum, only my reply button doesn't work for a couple days. So it allows them to continue to say things or misrepresent things that you said without you being able to immediately correct them. And I'm hoping that people are learning from this because it's one of the things that I learned about, you know, in my research for the troll documentary was that there are a lot of people that are basically engaging in those kinds of, uh, I don't want to say that, you know, use a word like dark, but essentially, uh, intellectually dishonest techniques of repetition of an unproven concept uh, to try to get everybody to accept it or, you know, direct personal attacks to anybody who opposes them. Um, and that's all the same kind of stuff that we see on Fox News. It's all the same kind of stuff you can get out of a typical episode of Bill O'Reilly. 
And it amazes me, actually, um, that people will claim freedom of speech to protect their rights to use logical fallacies. Think for a moment on exactly what that means. It's my freedom of speech to use logical fallacies, as in it is my freedom of speech to try and deceive you or deceive the audience into believing whatever I want according to my agenda by utilizing ad hominem, straw man, red herring, appeal to fear, you know, uh, and that's, that's a serious abuse of the concept of the freedom of speech. And I'm not saying we should round people up and make logical fallacy illegal, but I do think that it's important that people think about this when they're discussing the issue of um, you know, freedom of speech and, and the, the concepts that go along with it, uh, especially as things that I've said in the past, the quote-unquote founding fathers, these gurus of freedom that so many of these people will quote you know, all the time, as I've given examples of in the past, well, they define private property rights, and property rights are sacred. I said, yeah, and they also thought that private property can include other human beings. You know, and they, they usually pause for a moment because they, they don't like that you're bringing that up, but it's true. Um, and they also, however, on the, on the plus side, though, they did not ever construe that freedom of speech was going to mean that I have the right to go besmirch your reputation everywhere. They didn't have libel back then. Uh, they didn't have, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it didn't occur, but they didn't have libel laws and, and all of that. They would just go find you and then you'd be dueling. <laughs> and that's how they settled that. And I'm not suggesting that that's what we should be doing, but to pervert the freedom of speech to your own purposes and then claim the uh, the founding fathers support what it is that you were doing is, is really, really out of line. The average smear campaigns that go on on the Internet, if they were to have taken place, place back in the 1700s, you would be meeting with somebody at dawn to discuss those issues with a couple of pistols. And in many cases, only one of those people would walk away alive. So uh, think about that very heavily when you're considering, you know, the abuse of the freedom of speech. So anyway, um, I'm going to go ahead and pull up Mr. Veach's uh, website while I'm waiting. Oh, wait, is that you? This is me. How's it going? <laughs> Yay, Charlie's here. <laughs> you uh, you stretched my radio uh, radio host skills a bit. I had to, you know, kind of BS with the crowd a little while while I was waiting for you, but um, go ahead and introduce yourself to those of you who have not heard Mr. Veach before. Go ahead. No, first of all, Neil, I just want to make a confession. For the last uh, five or ten minutes there, I was just listening to you going, my God, this guy's got such a nice, gentle voice. I could listen to this guy talk for the full hour. I won't have to listen to anything myself. But uh, no, hi, everyone. Uh, it's Charlie Veach from The Love Police. I'm currently engaged in psychological warfare against uh, the combined governments and slave drivers of this planet. The way I do it is through making what I believe to be, because I'm very self-congratulatory, is uh, hard-hitting films and also just being, I just want to have the biggest hairy set of swinging balls in town and I don't care if it kills me because I, I really don't care. You know, I, mean, I, I have convictions and I have to do what I do. So if it's exposing MI6 uh, former heads who hate WikiLeaks, if it's chasing policemen who have been brutal, if it's kind of just doing videos calling for the absolute destruction of the slave ship, I don't mind. I don't care. They can do whatever they want. And, uh, yeah, so here I am. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Um, now, Mr. Reach, go ahead and you know, here in the beginning here, just go ahead and tell people the, the URL to your website so they can check out your work. 
Yeah, it's uh, www.cveach.org, uh, or just type in The Love Police into Google or any other search engine. It should be the first result. How good is that? The first result. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, um, I guess uh, since I apparently, according to the chat room here, we have some people who, who are new uh, to the Love Police phenomenon. Could you give a little background on how it got started? Yeah, it got started by, I would say, 27 years of brainwashing of myself by my parents, by school, by work, by university, and I fully believed in the Matrix. I fully believed that joining the armed forces was the right thing to do because I was a young man. I was just 21 when September the 11th happened, and I believed my role was to defend uh, Britannia and the Queen and put on a camouflage uniform, pick up an SAAT. 5.56 millimeter firing NATO standard round high velocity assault rifle, take that into the desert and kill ragheads. That's what I thought was the right thing to do. But then as the uh, economy crashed, as the economy crashed and I lost my job and I went out clubbing one night uh, in London, I went to a drum and bass night with my friend Ian and we went out partying until about seven o'clock in the morning and my brain was very mushy, very malleable, very, um, I had a very open mind due to very many illegal substances such as MDMA, THC, uh, legal ones such as nicotine and alcohol. So he goes, Charlie, let me show you a film to tell you what's really happening in this world. And I'm sad to say it wasn't Zeitgeist 1, which I then showed him later, which I thought was fantastic. It was actually a terror storm. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of the Venus people, Zeitgeist, don't really like Alex Jones. But, hey, he makes a good documentary film to wake people up. So... Well, even I recommend Terror Storm to people sometimes because it was a good yeah. collection of... Yeah. So. yeah, so there I was. At, uh, you know, so we're, I was actually working for a, a direct Rothschild company owned by uh, Lord Jacob Rothschild. Um, he's a direct descendant of the British branch of the Rothschild's dynasty. And I was working for him selling fear and greed to professional people such as lawyers and other investment managers so I basically sabotaged the last two years I worked in finance because I didn't have the balls to quit I just had the balls to sit there do no work and take the big salary and I would love to say that I invested that money wisely in recording equipment and cameras and interviewing impressive people but because I was so shit scared of all the information I kind of drowned myself in uh, traveling the world, taking drugs and uh, smoking weed. But uh, anyway, how did the Love Police come about? One day I just said, enough is enough. It was May the 1st, 2009. I bought a little camera, got the megaphone and went out there and started attacking the police state. And a uh, big concern for me is, uh, is my work reactionary or actionary? I think it's both. I think uh, in order to remain human, you have to be a bit reactionary, a bit angry about what's happening in the world, but as I mentioned in the video recently, Neil, I want to I want to start providing more kind of visions for the future, much like uh, Zeitgeister Venus, uh, because um, I, I think a lot of my work is very much let's go do battle with the bad guys, but then I'm wasting time doing battle with the bad guys when I could be moving away from the bad guys and starting my own thing. So um, I know we've got a lot to cover tonight, mm -hmm. but uh, I I would like to just maybe kick off with saying just what I've been saying recently to everyone out there who is paying tax to the British government, to the American government, to the Dutch government, to whichever government, stop paying tax immediately. All you're doing is keeping the slave ship going. I know many of you pay tax at source. It comes out of your paycheck before it comes to your bank account. 
you need to quit that job, you need to do something else where you are not taxed at source. It's the only way to be free in an unfree world right now is to not financially support the raping, the murder, the pillaging, and this drive towards annihilation, which our Western industrialized world is is, um, is driving us on. So stop paying tax, stop watching TV, carry on listening to Neil on VTV. That's the only TV you need, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, is that it occurred to me for the longest time that uh, you know, you're kind of like a, a frontline reporter for the you know for the real movement, so to speak, is just in to say that. You know, uh, I always, you know, that my my dream would be to, you know, ever to for us to have a network of our own where anti-statists of different groups could report on the news from their own direction. That's kind of the feeling that I got. Like, you know, I wish that we could have been broadcasting live the stuff you were doing uh, in the in your video, the the battle for Parliament Square. Um, yeah. You know, stuff like that. And there there is some technology that's decent for that, but it needs to be hooked up to the Internet, at least that I'm aware of anyway. Like you could have had a Justin TV feed running out of a laptop, but it's not exactly easy to walk around a protest doing that. Um, I guess I could have it strapped to my chest with the webcam pointing out. <laughs> right. But that would basically, you know, something we could develop eventually. But I would absolutely love to, you know, someday have a situation where you're like an on the ground reporter for a uh, you know, for a, uh, some version of, you know, basically alternative media. But um, in any case, though, I mean, it's uh, it, V Radio is essentially, as I've been trying to tell people, it's although it is largely about Venus, it's got a lot of other elements to it as well. I'm trying to create alternative media for everybody. And although, you know, it's pretty clear that I have certain beliefs, there's no reason, for example, why I wouldn't bring on people of other anti-status groups like Stefan Molyneux, um, I'd, I'd love to have somebody like Derek Jensen. You're reading his book, aren't you? I am indeed. I read about 50 pages today, and it's as if he's writing directly to my own brain. And that's the the beauty of, re of reading uh, someone who's come to the same conclusions by themselves that, that you have in terms of the current industrial world we live in is raping and pillaging the planet violently. And my personal view... Um, um, Neil, is that I, I honestly, I do believe this, and I think that the work you do and the work I do and the work anyone in the resistance or truth movement or whatever we call ourselves does is merely to accelerate the change. I honestly feel that if we all moved to a desert island and kind of sat there smoking weed all day and relaxing, <laughs> the world would annihilate itself and then the possibility of the Venus Project would arise or the possibility of a complete return to nature would arise, but why do we stay then in this world when everyone is saying, "Oh, if you want to be a, a naturist, or if you want to be a naturist naked, I don't know." But if you want to, you know, live in nature, why don't you just go do it now? But I guess what drives us is the thrill of the battle against the bad guys. That, that's it. Now maybe it's the warrior spirit which they once, you know, managed to subvert and make me join the army. But it was my choice. I consciously chose to join the army. So how much of that is brainwashing? How much is that my own stupidity? But I honestly feel, Neil, if we all stop doing what we're doing right now in 2011, all the big changes would still happen. But what the role we can play, and this is very humbling as well, because whatever is happening is going to happen without us. But at least what we can do is accelerate it a tiny bit and try and wake up as many people who are sitting on the fence. Because most people, 95% of people, they're not gonna they're not gonna wake up in the next six months or the next year, the next two years, because I mean, look at me. I was 27, 26 before I, I woke up. And I think a lot of people are too far gone. And that's not a negative uh, way of looking at it. I think it's just very, very honest.
But um, and this will be the the demise of man in this kind of slave world. It will be the the absolute self destruction of it. Is that you know there's too much there's too much evil there's too much badness and a phrase I always keep repeating is that only justice brings peace. And we can't literally we can't just sign a peace agreement with the you know the Henry Kissingers with the State of Israel with the Zionists or or with anyone who's um you know, making a lot of profit, pharmaceutical companies off the sickness of people and the continuing sickness of people, there needs to be a, a kind of justice brought to them. And I'm not advocating capturing them and torturing them much like they've been doing to us. I, I mean, I think the mob, the, the masses of people that we've seen in Egypt, Tunisia, now Libya, they will come after the bad guys and will rip them to pieces with their bare teeth. I, I do honestly believe that. That's actually, you know, it's interesting because I know it was one of the things you said you wanted to talk about was Libya, you know, and obviously uh, on V Radio, I was fortunate enough to have, we haven't had anybody from Libya yet, but it's much harder to get into that country. But uh, we do have, we did have a guy, uh, he called himself Gamo, and uh, he was a member of the Zeitgeist Movement in Egypt, and he came on V Radio while all that stuff was still going on to talk about the, the state of things, and um, you know, just what was going on over there. Uh, and, I mean, it was kind of one of those moments where, like, you know, it was like, well, we need to go do this show right now because we never know when Mubarak was going to turn off their Internet again or whatever. Um, and it was a really enlightening conversation to talk to somebody like that. And, I, you know, I thought about that for the longest time. I was like, you know, um, <laughs> be careful about, you know, this. But I was like, you know, I wonder what it would be like, you know, to have the love police show up in Egypt in the middle of all that. But it was really freaking dangerous and they don't really like yeah. us. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, Gamo knew better, but, you know, I, I don't think I'd want to be walking around in the middle of that since these people, quite realistically, for very good reasons, have a lot of reasons to resent the West. You know, um, yeah. because both of our not only that, age and all not kinds only that, of it's, um, it's it's their revolution. I think if I was to turn up with an entourage of, you know, spoiled Western kids to turn up with cameras and megaphones to try and make a comedy video out of it, it would be A, a massive insult to the Egyptians, and B, um, and this is like, you know, shows how much of a coward I am, it would be very dangerous, I think, for, for the people involved. And, you know, right now in Libya, um, we are seeing this very strange development. And I was actually chatting to Annie Michonne um, online earlier today. She's the ex-MI5 agent that, um, strangely enough, very relevantly, she quit MI5. Sorry, yeah, MI5, because there was a failed MI6. These are kind of two branches of the British CIA. Or think of MI5 as the FBI and the MI6 as the CIA. There was a failed MI6 plot to assassinate Gaddafi back in the late 90s, just before Princess Diana's death. And she quit in disgust because she's actually a human being. She's not a robot. She actually quit because her government, the British government, ripped a bunch of civilians, including children, to pieces with bombs, which the British uh, tried to kill Gaddafi with. And um, she's been hounded and persecuted for, for over a decade by the state. She's been called crazy. She's been called all sorts of names for actually having principles for actually having convictions and anyway i was chatting to her today about libya and uh, she appeared on russia today as well which i managed to record and uh, she is saying that it does look like the americans and the british are going to use a kind of a kind of not so much a false flag but uh they're going to kind of try and wind up the libyan authorities to the point where they end up killing a british soldier or they end up kidnapping more dutch marines or they end up firing a rocket at some American ship in self-defense, and then they're going to go in there and do another Iraq. And this is this incredibly sad, Neil. And this is why 
I think, you know, our society. And I chatted to Jack Fresco about this for over three hours and uh, Roxanne as well. Our society um, isn't going to change before it gets before it hits rock bottom. And it's much the same like a drug addict. Sometimes drug addicts or alcoholics will only change when they lose their liver or when they have kidney failure or when they end up beating up the person they love the most, because that's when they hit rock bottom. And our society, unfortunately, is a, our, the kind of government we have is a reflection of the moods and minds of the general population, because I swear to God, if that this was a country of 70 million people with my mind, we would be camped outside parliament doing a kind of a Cairo style revolution where we wouldn't leave until, until it changes. But people are full of bloodlust. They're full of anger. They're full of programmed hate. And so they actually, in a way, kind of willingly line up to join the armed forces like I did. And that's, that's very humbling for me. I mean, Tony Blair, Barack Obama, George Bush, uh, David Cameron, um, all these Western, and especially Hillary Clinton, my God, she is a reflection of where people stand in their own minds. And yeah, we are, people do elect the representation of where society is at. So the reason why we have Barack Obama's and David Cameron's running the world is because that is truly how sick society is, how depraved and how evil our society has allowed itself to be. And much as I was discussing with uh, Jack Fresco, the only way we can have change is after this collapse. So I think we all feel it. We all feel it in our hearts that something is happening, whether it's 2012, whether it's meteors coming from planet Nibiru, whether it's pole shift, whether it's a fake alien invasion. I think we all feel it in our hearts that something is about to give in the next few years. And humanity, thank God, will never be the same after that. And I think any change, because really in my heart, Neil, we are at, absolute psychological spiritual and political rock bottom i do not see how our western industrialized world can get more depraved than hundreds of years of slavery and that i mean you can kind of direct slavery from africa and now the kind of economic slavery of countries the over a hundred years of destroying the planet polluting the planet um, the incredible military industrial complex that your country and my country has created the invasion and killing of children all over the world, the incredible incarceration rates in prisons, which to me, and I spent 53 hours in solitary confinement in, in Toronto, and I wouldn't wish prison upon my worst enemy. I, I believe in natural law. I think if someone fucks up, they should deal with it with the human beings who you know caught them, whatever. But what I'm trying to say is, it is so depraved and so far gone that only a giant snap of this evil twig will actually bring about any change. Like we can't, we have an expression in Britain, you can't polish a turd, and our Western industrialized civilization is beyond a turd. It's a giant cow shit. It's bullshit. It's, it's, you can't polish it. You can't put a sheen onto something which is broken, much like you know Bert, Ben Bernanke and his other Zionist scumbag friends at the Federal Reserve can't rescue the economy by adding more money to it. it it's, it's, it's all gone mad, and maybe this is why the Venus Project exists now, because this is when you guys are needed. This is when we can start planning for after the collapse. But in terms of people who might be listening now, thinking we can rescue this, we can use peace and love to turn it around, you can't, you can't use peace and love to turn around um, daisy cutter or white phosphorus bombs ripping through children's heads in Gaza whilst Western politicians laugh. You can't, you can't peace and love that. It needs to snap. It completely needs to snap. 
and there goes my 10, 12-minute rant. There you go. <laughs> That's okay, Charlie. That was all great stuff. Now, um, it's interesting that you point this out, and it, it's important, I think, to bring up that uh, the success of the people in these countries of doing what it is they're doing, and especially in Egypt, because this is something that Gamo pointed out, was that the Egyptian military was loyal to the people. And there were several instances where the Egyptian military acted to protect the people against the forces that were loyal to the president. They actually put themselves in the way. Like I've seen footage of a tank that like rolled up in front of the protesters because there were people throwing rocks at the protesters from you know, like basically people who had been hired. Um, you know, and that's and that was an, a unique example of the, what was necessary for that to success. And that's why I tell people, you know, and I and I've seen like that change also just like from you, for, for example, like you know, you you tend to to love the police now in a way that kind of it's weird because they're expecting you to be mean to them, and then and then you're not. You know, that changes their attitude. We talked about that in a previous interview because I've yeah. seen it too, and it works. You can some with some of them. I mean, some of them are so damaged, obviously, that there's nothing we can do for them, but. When it comes to the military, we really need to find ways to to get them to relate to what it is we're talking about, because that's really where it came down. I mean, if it really, I mean, it, for example, I mean, if, if the military in Egypt was loyal to Mubarak, they could have just shot all of those protesters, and but they weren't, you know, and they were people, you know, like they they were giving examples. Uh, Gamma was telling me about how, you know, like there was a an Egyptian tank driver who was ordered to fire on civilians and he's like calling his mother to talk to her about it because he doesn't want to do it. You know, situations like that were going on and it led to the military kind of going, you know what, Mr. President, um, we're not going to help them throw you out. But uh, if you were hoping we were going to shoot Egyptian people who aren't doing anything, you, you got another thing coming. And it's yeah. necessary that we do that. You know, and it's funny, you know, you pointed out the military we have to remember that these people are, are, are victims. I mean, it's like when you go into the unemployment offices here in the United States and all the different places for the public social programs like, you know, that you have to go to, they have military recruitment posters there. You know, it's like they don't have a draft. They'll just tank the economy to force you to get into the military. At least that's the way it is in, in the parts of the United States where I live in. The, the more lower the, the lower the economy, the more likely people who want to feed their families go into the military. I have two friends who joined actually three who joined recently, and none of them were in any way motivated by patriotism. And in fact, a lot of them think a lot of the stuff that's going on here is just, you know, is just crap. But, but they yeah. don't, they don't, they didn't have any choice. It's like they couldn't think of any other way to feed their families. And that's, I think, a, a dangerous hole to be stuck in. But on, on the plus side, though, the more they do that, the more the military will be made up of the common man. Um, you know, that the, the people who are not going to be so keen to volunteer. And I think that the, the system, particularly the United States, is fully aware of that. If you look at George Bush's executive orders that made it legal to deploy uh, mercenaries against the people, that's when you find out that they've kind of got it. You know, when you think about it, we've got our, at least in the United States, we have our military deployed everywhere but here. And then we have it legal to deploy mercenaries against the people. In fact, Blackwater mercenaries were on the ground. Uh, after Hurricane Katrina, before any military forces were, um, yeah, and yeah, and, uh, like I talked to some guys who worked for some security companies um, who uh, were not as crazy as Blackwater. They were hired by corporations to protect corporate stuff, but you know, and they ended up having to be like the police force because there was nobody there. You know, like they had a woman they they rescued from being raped and all that. So, you know, but but there were Blackwater mercenaries there too. And I, and then it occurred to me when I was making all these studies, this is where the stormtroopers would come from. It's not going to be from our common military people. It's going to be from, you know, these other countries that don't really have any vested interest in caring about anything going on here. It's just like the Hessians 
that the British Empire hired to, you know, to put down colonial insurrection. Um, you know, they were they were not local people, you know, and that's uh, one thing that I would say, I mean, they're going to try. And one of the things that they're going to do is they're going to do their best to try to alienate us from the military. Um, they're going to tell the military things about us to try to get them to go along with it. And we have to be sure that we're not doing stuff like spitting on them, you know, and jumping all over them. And we don't like what they're doing. We oppose what they're doing. You know, but still, they're you know they're people, and we have to try to wake them up because they're gonna you know in order for any kind of revolution to succeed, we will need the military the same way the Egyptians did. Yeah, no, I agree, I, but I, I wish I could be as optimistic as you, Neil, because I mean you mentioned the great example, and, and it, it does fill my heart with joy of the Egyptian troops not killing their own people, but we must remember as well. Uh, much like when I was 21, I was fully prepared to kill my fellow man. And who cares if it's a fellow person of a fake country, because all countries are fake lines in the sand anyway. Who cares if it's a person of your own country or a person of a different country? Those Egyptian troops, if there was like an invasion from Somalia, they would be more than happy to machine gun and kill as many Somalian people and youngsters as, as they could. And um, I, I, all I can see with, with the military, and I was in there not for very long, it was about a year I learned how to disassemble an assault rifle in the dark, put it back together. I learned how to march. I learned how to be a slave. All I see in the military is just, I mean, I know many people don't like to use the terms good and evil, and it's more of a kind of programming thing. It's behaviorism. It's kind of, it's uh, St Stefan Molyneux says, it's kind of child abuse, which creates monsters in, in later life. But the entire concept of military is um, it runs alongside statism and civilization. There is no such thing as military in the hunter-gatherer society. You're not going to find um, tribes in the Amazon, the uncontacted tribes that haven't had any influence from the Western world. They're not going to have a giant hierarchy of armies. Fair enough, they'll have warriors. Um, fair enough, they'll kill each other you know, from different tribes over a, a kind of missing cow or toucan or whatever they, they fight over, but you don't have industrial levels of violence and um you know you, you you mentioned that we we will we would need the military on our side for any revolution and this is what i get very angry with the egyptian revolution is like wait the people you know they kind of got out of one dictator but he was a military dictator mubarak mm -hmm. and who's in charge of egypt now it's the military so you know who won it's still civilization which is winning it's still the the disease of the slave ship which is still won and this is why I say, Neil, that the only way we will have any change is through a, a gigantic and absolute collapse of of, right. of the slave ship we have. And you know, I wish I could be as as optimistic as you, but I, I've seen I've seen too much evidence not not just with my own eyes, but with other people and and so many different you know films on on the internet and you know kind of documentary films of people I trust of just just how evil any military is. I don't think there is such a thing as a good military. Yes, there are people who, for whatever reason, get sucked into the military. And yeah, there's a lot of poor people. And this happens in Britain as well at the job center. We call it the job center, the unemployment office, who they get offered you know, a good salary and to be fed every day and lots of adventure. These are young men that have never traveled outside England. Suddenly, they can go to Afghanistan and see a sunset over the Kandahar Mountains. You know, it's, it's, it's impressive to them. But I, I, I think we should concentrate our time on on really accelerating the, the collapse of this society. And, and people are probably listening going, oh my God, how negative, how negative. But it's because they're not thinking hard enough. Like they're not thinking just how damaging 
this civilization is. And anyone who says, oh, but the healthcare, the hospitals, the schools, the the, um, the great technology we have, the films, the culture, the opera, the poetry, what they're basically saying is that they, they like these, these nice, luxurious things, which are unnatural and unsustainable. And then they're doubly saying that all the kind of murdering and rape and slavery of the last, you know, 5,000 years has been fine. It's an okay price to pay for this, uh, for this uh, society we have. And I get, I get a bit stressed that people who say that any return to nature or return to natural living, um, Native American style or indigenous Aborigine style, would be a step backwards. I, I personally feel, and I'm not trying to convince anyone of this, I don't need anyone to agree with me here. And this is a very one-sided argument. I'm not here for free speech or whatever. I'm here to kind of push my personal view on this. Of course. That since, you know, since the agricultural revolution, since the, you know, the kind of creation of societies and surpluses, which is always, 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 always built on slavery, that was man's step backwards. We were living in harmony for millions of years as a kind of primitive man, as Neanderthal, as Cro-Magnon man, as the kind of missing link. What was her name? Eve. We were living in harmony with nature. And it's, it's such a recent development, this, um, this step backwards into unsustainable raping of the planet. So I, I feel any kind of advancement you know, back to the state of nature is actually us going back to where we were before, before we had the fall of man. And that's, you know, and I, and I don't disagree with you about that. And it's one of the reasons why I, we stated even in the Venus project as a technological society, what that means needs to be completely re-identified because man has utilized technology in a way, irrespective of the damage that it would do to the rest of the earth. Um, and also in an unsustainable way. And that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I totally agree with where you're coming from that we, you know, the earth needs to be of kind of a primary importance and man is very good at uh, brainwashing themselves and they're thinking, well, I want my stuff. So therefore that's, that's it. And that's the end of it. And that's, I have this really powerful picture on my Facebook that somebody uh, put up and it, it's Neil, you should quit Facebook, man. Get off it. quick. <laughs> well, I'm still using it as a communications tool, but um, in any case, uh, they already know about me. They've got all my information. I got nothing to lose. But the picture, anyway, is a picture of a small little African boy lying on the, in, you know, on the dirt, starving to death. And then uh, to pan to right to the right, I, I had this picture and I wanted to put it up on Christmas, but I decided to wait until the 26th. <laughs> so, and then on the right, you have a picture of after you have this little boy starving to death, lying on the ground. Then you, on the on the right of the picture, you have a Christmas tree and uh, you know all these presents and a nice suburban home. And then underneath it, it says, "Define necessity." Now, what is necessity? We we really have been, and, and it's funny actually that when you, when you talk to some market anarchists, I mean, and it's not really market anarchists in so much as it is the the kinds of capitalists that we deal with that are that are the problem. But it, it's it's the idea that they should they they don't understand that no matter how many times they they rally for civil rights or their personal property rights that there are limits to property rights that have nothing to do with any coercion by any other person you don't have a right to render the planet uninhabitable i mean you could um but it'll kill you and everybody else here you know you don't have a right to use more resources than exist if there's only 3 apples i can't have 5 apples if there's only 3 and no matter how many times I yell up and down about, well, you can't tell me what to do, the earth doesn't care. The earth is not going to argue with you. That's why 
Peter says nature is a dictatorship. Oh, you um, took my line, Neil, Neil, Neil. I was gonna, that was going to be my, my kind of interlude into what you're saying, saying that mm -hmm. during the latest zeitgeist, when I kind of I developed a, a, a boy crush on Peter Joseph was when he said, <laughs> all right, let's all, let's all kind of – and it was a picture of a grizzly bear. I remember the scene in the film, and I kind of – I had the heart pang of love for Peter Joseph when he goes, all right, all right, let's all just appreciate nature itself is a dictatorship. And I was like, oh, he's on the same page as me. <laughs> well and that's and it's very true and they don't it, it's as if they think that i mean mind you i mean in their defense uh, if you study propaganda and you study uh the works of people like edward bernays I mean, and we've talked about this before many times on v radio and it's for those of you who are new to the show and haven't checked these out yet be sure that you check out the documentaries psy war p-s-y war um consuming kids uh, the Century of Self, and all of these documentaries talk in great detail about marketing and the various brainwashing, and I, and I don't say that to be extreme, brainwashing, because that's what it is, tactics to try to convince us that we need um, products that we don't need, and that it was organized that way from the very beginning. Um, I, I keep coming back to this because it's the most obvious example, but when they consulted with Edward Bernays, about how to get women to smoke. He used his knowledge of psychology, being Sigmund Freud's nephew, to develop the campaign that then got women not only to smoke, but to believe that smoking was, an, uh, was a uh, personification of their freedom and independence, was their right to smoke, their right to pollute themselves with a useless product and kill themselves, was their independence. And, and that's an example of how we've been brainwashed to think that our consumerism is our freedom. And it's not to say that people shouldn't have things that they want. It's important, however, to really look very closely at yourself and recognize why you want the things that you do. People ask why jocks, in a lot of jocks' drawings, you see people wearing clothing that is very similar. It's not because there's going to be a coercive state forcing you to wear the same clothing as everybody else. It's going to be because when you look at fashion, most of it is, is bullshit. It's bullshit. It's, it's all bullshit, Neil. And when you look at indigenous tribes, no one's going to say that they're under mind control for all wearing the same uh, clothes. You know, the people in the Amazon, they all wear the same whatever they wear. They're usually naked, and that's wonderful. But, yeah, no one's going to look at a tribe in Africa, say the – um, I, I can't even name a tribe off the top of my head. But anyway, they, their ceremonial dress is all the same, and no one's going to say – you're absolutely right. Fashion is bullshit. It's very cyclical, and it's – very powerful people using manipulating brain mind control to kind of get people to want, 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 and they keep on wanting. And people need to realize that that which they want, they are a slave to. And there's really no need for us to want anything other than what's already provided by, by nature fully, absolutely fully. And yeah, I, I use a camera, I use a computer, but these are my weapons in the, in the psychological war. And um, I don't think there is a a moral problem in using the tools of that which you're against to to fight which you're against. I mean, I don't think anyone could blame the, I think we mentioned this in the last show, I don't think anyone would say the Native Americans were going against their values for using rifles when they were fighting the invading European settlers who were giving them smallpox and raping their women and killing their children and wiping out their communities. They were using the best tools at their disposal to, to kind of defend themselves. And so, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And um, what we're seeing now in uh, in Libya is, um, unfortunately, there are reports now. There's two reports which have concerned me greatly. And the first one, I'm not surprised at, and I don't think it's it's even beyond doubt, 
that there are agents of the West arming and funding the kind of um, rebellion in Libya with Western weapons. But the more disturbing report I heard today, and I wish I had the source right here, but if anyone does a search into Google right now of uh, Israel um, sending mercenaries to Gaddafi to defend the Gaddafi state, and this makes me wonder, like, who are these people? Who are these Zionist people running the world, wanting conflict and hatred? I mean, why are they sending mercenaries to uphold the Gaddafi regime when, you know, the West and Israel are publicly saying, oh, we don't like Gaddafi, we want him removed. Why are they sending mercenaries in there to, to fight and die and kill? It's, it's, it's outrageous. You know, and that's it, it is important to point out, and I don't think many people know this, that it's, it's, it's something that has been a problem that I've had to deal with because I do have a lot of Jewish friends. And it's important to note that Zionism is not uh, – it, it's not even – well, it's not even sound um, with their own religion, the funny thing is. And there are groups of Jewish people who will come forward and point out, um, according to the Torah, we're not supposed to be there, um, period. <laughs> you know, and uh, anybody who tells you otherwise, well, um, they're, they're not really reading their Torah very well. And the point to get of that, though, is just to be sure – and I, the only reason I bring this up is to remind people that – Israel, uh, just like the United States, just like you know the United Kingdom, is just another cog in the machine. And I just I, I caution people to be sure that their problems with Israel do not become anti-Semitism, because there are plenty of Jewish people who do not agree with what's going on over there. And I know that you weren't implying that, Charlie. I just want to bring that up because I've seen a really uh, disturbing tendency that it starts to become anti-Semitism if you're not careful. And oh, um, absolutely. And, it, and um, it, go ahead. No, I think it's, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. But uh, anyone who follows a religion, that's fine. Everyone has the right to believe in whatever they want. I mean, when I take magic mushrooms, when I smoke weed, I start believing these wonderful things about Mother Nature, about Gaia, about the goddess. And I start having all these crazy fractal holographic ideas about reality. And that's fine because it doesn't hurt anyone. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't criticize. Um, we shouldn't, I don't think, censor our criticism of radical Judaism, much like we shouldn't censor our criticism of radical republicanism or radical Islam or right-wing oh, sure, Christianity. Sure. Yeah, because, um, you know, the, the, all the Western media, and let, let's not forget, most of the, the media we have in the Western world is controlled by two companies, Associated Press and Reuters. These are Rothschild Zionist fronts, and they have a great time, you know, telling people that radical Islam is truly the problem in the world. But I would say that that's a wonderful smokescreen against radical Judaism, which is Zionism, really. So I don't think there's any problem criticizing Judaism as a religion, because to me, all religions, and this is another phrase which I borrowed from Peter Joseph, these are all arbitrary separatist identities. Well, right, and I think it's important to recognize, though, that I, a lot of it has to do with a with a worldview that comes from having a lot of money, um, and it just so happens that yes, there are a lot of Jewish people that have a lot of money. It's part of their personal culture to be good with money. I've talked to a lot of them, you know, and it, it's and as a result, they end up with money. But there are plenty of you know non-Jewish rich people who are just as much of a problem, who are in positions of corruption and. And things of that nature, and that's why. And I don't have a problem, you know, with with criticizing the radical version of anything. Um, I mean, and, and I I tend to have to educate people to the fact, that, you know, like uh, Islam, for example, is getting a big hit right now. And it's not to say that bad things aren't being done in the name of Islam because they are. But the story that I usually tell people to give them an example of the fact that they're, you know, you have to judge everybody as an individual 
is to say um, there was a uh, when I lived in the inner city in Pontiac, Michigan, which is a little less known than Detroit, but definitely just as bad and in some parts worse. Uh, my mother was a very prideful woman, and she did everything she could to stay off of state assistance. Um, and at one point, she got a really nice job and got a car, and you know it looked like she was going to be fine. So she got completely off of state assistance, and then her car broke down within two days of getting off of state assistance. And she therefore, of course, then in turn lost her job. And there was this corner store that we were regulars at for the longest time. And the, the, the Arabic man, and there are a lot of Arabic store owners in my area of the United States, uh, you know, he was never friendly. You know, he was just, he was always kind of gruff. He was never rude to us, but you always got this no-nonsense impression from him. So, you know, we never knew, like, what his ideas about us really were, but none of us stole from him and you know, none of us ever caused any problems in his store. I went there constantly to, to buy my comic books when I was a kid. And uh, so my mother has $5 to her name and has to figure out how to feed her children for a month because you can't get right back onto state assistance. And she's really stressed out. And um, at one point, you know, she's just kind of looking around the store with her $5 trying to figure out what to do. And and she gets, you know, is very obviously upset. And this is a woman who's so prideful and so strong that when she does get upset, it's very clear. And this man, as I said, who normally had kind of a scowl on his face, walks up to her and says, ma'am, is everything okay? You know, and she just bursts into tears. Neil, 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 can I stop you? Neil, sorry, my friend. I know you're in the middle of a story. There's someone banging on my front door. I'm good. Can I you just excuse me for 30 seconds while I go and see who it is? Go right on ahead. <laughs> I'll tell my All story. All right. Okay, okay. Um, oh. If it's police coming to arrest me, this will be a worldwide exclusive. So just you know, hold <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Sorry about this. I'll be 30 seconds. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Um, well, anyway, to tell the rest of you the story while we're waiting um, – uh, she started she basically bursts into tears, and um, uh, one of the things that happens was uh, um, he said, you know, you know, I could tell that something was wrong. Will you please tell me what's wrong? And she finally just uh, spits it out. She says, you know, she explains the situation to him, and she says, you know, I have no way to feed my family this month. What am I going to do, et cetera, et cetera. And this man who had been so, like I said, always had kind of a scowl on his face, softens and says, you know, ma'am, you know, you and your boys have been very good customers. You never steal from me. You're always polite. Um, I think this month you're going to feed your family out of my store. And she just kind of looked at him like, really? You know, and he says, no, you don't have to worry about it. You know, just within reason, of course, but you come here and, and we'll make meals for you and, you know, and you take them back to your house. This was a Muslim Arabic man, and um, and he did. Uh, he did feed us for a whole month while she got her affairs in order with the state. And what came of that, you know, she, of course, wanted to pay him back, and he refused. He said, no, you know, I've, I've given you a gift, you know, and you're going to keep it. You know, just continue to be a loyal customer if you really feel inclined to, to pay me back. And that's that's a side of Islam that you don't really get. Uh, you don't really get exposed to that, you know, and um, that's why when people say that they hate Muslims or that Islam is evil or any number of other things, and I'm not saying there are not questionable things in, in the, the Quran because there are, but it doesn't change the fact that uh, every one of these religions, at least at one point anyway, is trying to accomplish um, something beautiful. And no, you're right. 
You're right, and um, yeah, just good news. It wasn't the police. It was just uh, my flatmate's uh, friend, uh, and you guys, Americans, say housemate. But anyway, um, you're right. Um, I think people are at heart, like, and you know, everyone's so fucked up by society. But you're right, Neil. Everyone at heart is is a human being, and you know, we're all natural, and we want to help one another. And I think the gentleman who helped your family. I mean, I got slight tingles down my spine because it's a it's a beautiful story, and it actually puts hope for humanity. And I think people are amazing, not because of their religions, but despite their religions, because I think all religions are there. You know, if people, there are so many good people who are Christians or Muslim or Jews, but ultimately these religions are separatist things to kind of think of yourself as different from your fellow man. But you're absolutely right. That, that guy, I guess he stopped thinking, oh, well, this woman's Jewish or this person's not a Muslim, he he turned into a pure human being, or he was a pure human being, despite all the kind of craziness that religion puts into people's heads. But as I said earlier, Neil, everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. And even the Scientologists, they've got a right to believe whatever the hell they want to believe, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. So, no, man, thanks for sharing that story, because that actually, I managed to catch most of it, because I was only away for 10 seconds, and yeah, that that's given me hope. Well, that's, you know, and that was kind of the point behind it. And I've, you know, I've been in situations where Jewish people have helped me. Um, I've been in situations where Christian people have helped me. And as you said, it is, it is something that should be kind of in spite of that. And that's another interesting point is, you know, like um, I've been helped by churches in the past and I'm an atheist. And one of them in particular, I went there and, you know, they, they always want to feed you. And the funny thing is they never, they never preached at me or anything, you know, and I, and I just, but what I looked around was and, and recognized I was like, you know, these are really good people, but are, are they doing this? Like, is, is Christianity their excuse? You know, is that why they're doing this? Is it some belief in, in you know, in heaven or whatever? And, and I got a genuine feeling that most of these people were very good people. But it also occurred to me, I'm like, it's almost kind of too bad that these people would then credit everything they were doing with God rather than just saying, no, you're a good person. You did this. You know, God didn't come down here and make this soup kitchen. You know, you did this, you, you know, you're working on this. And that's um, and I think that that's it's interesting that in many cases, people credit everything that's good that has happened to them to some transcendental or, you know, or entity or whatever, as opposed to being able to take any credit for their own good works. Um, and I think that's kind of tough because it, it puts everything on some entity that's outside of ourselves to be good. Um, or evil, for that matter. You know, um, really good, uh, ironically, a really good uh, article I read by a Jewish rabbi was pointing out that the devil did not make you do it, I think was the name of the article. And he pointed out that, you know, we don't need a, a Satan to, to make, you know, mankind evil. They're, they're quite capable of that all on their own. Um, and in fact, actually, when you study Judaism, they don't actually believe in an entity like Satan. They also don't believe in hell. Um there's a really good documentary that I just – well, they do believe in it, but not in the same fashion we do. There's a really good documentary about this uh, called, like, The History of Satan that lays this out in great detail. Um, and the funny thing is is that I see people, like, you know, the argument about debunking whether or not Jesus is a lot, whatever was is kind of a silly one. The majority of the evil that has been done in the name of religion has been, ch has been about chasing this devil down. And once you find out how much of a fraud that – being's existence is the concept of Jesus being real or not is kind of secondary um, because but in any case you know not to get too far off the topic onto any kind of tangents um, it's it's important I think that people recognize that they're you know that they can be good on their own 
without any promise of any kind of metaphysical reward. Yeah, being good is it's its own reward. It feels good for a reason because it's it's natural. And uh, yeah, I guess that's one of the reasons why, I, I mean, this is going slightly off topic, but it's kind of related. I'm trying to work towards being a full vegetarian stroke vegan right now because the whole the whole way we we treat factory farmed animals and someone showed me a clip today of a slaughterhouse where cows and bulls or whatever they are are kind of shot in the head with a a bolt gun i mean to me that's uh it has incredible parallels with how we we treat one another as human beings and um I, I do believe that, you know, it does put a lot of bad energy into people's souls that, you know, we, we do have these battery farms for chickens. We do have um, incredible slaughterhouses where cows and bulls never see grass and never see the sky. And then they're kind of killed in an industrial manner. And, uh, you know, because we're talking about, you know, kind of history and religion and so forth. I mean, if we're able to do that to another living creature, and uh, it's not it's not natural. I mean, indigenous people kill animals, but these animals are so free range to the point that they're wild and, and free. And um, we all know in nature, lions and cheetahs and any predator, you know, kills animals and eats them, but in very small scale. And human beings do that as well. But I think there are parallels with how we treat other life on this planet and how we treat the planet itself with how we allow ourselves to treat others and you know just look at the the holo the various holocausts on the planet the the native american holocaust the jewish holocaust the rwandan holocaust the bosnian holocaust the the incredible genocide that britain and america does in in, in, in arab countries the the holocaust of half a million iraqi children because of the un sanctions in the 1990s this is because we are all brought up we are all raised eating processed industrially murdered meat and you know that's that's the way we see life we're like well okay well i could put this on the table for my children and you know i i drive this big car and all this fuel and this all has a price and the price of modern living is industrial death and death on a vast scale and so i do see parallels between factory farmed meat and factory farmed human beings in, in concentration camps i think they are directly related i mean one doesn't lead to the other but they are definitely related they are of the same species of mind disruption you know and the funny thing about that charlie is that like what you also talk about differences in culture in an anarcho-primitivist society such as the native americans the act of hunting was considered something that was sacred and then when they would take the life of the animal they would generally say what amounted to a prayer thanking the being for giving itself to them you know and you know, but there's certainly a difference between a predator enacting uh, a natural cycle of you know because you have to call the herd a little bit or it does damage to the rest of you know the environment I mean, an example would be here in michigan um, we killed off all the wolves back in the early colonial times because there were religious beliefs about wolves being evil and all that other nonsense <laughs> and then as a result the the deer population got out so out of control that they started doing a lot of damage to the foliage and then eventually um you know uh dying of starvation themselves and it spreads disease and so obviously we hunt deer um and i yeah. think Ted Nugent talked about that, is that, you know, you, when he goes out into the forest, he feels like part of the forest and part of the, the natural order. But that's certainly a hell of a lot different than any idea of, you know, get, putting together a factory farm. Um, and yeah. that's and I definitely agree with you there. And it's some of the stuff that I've seen, like, you know, to create veal. I never knew what went into veal. I was a dairy farmer when I was a little boy. 
And when I saw what they do to create veal, it's like I want this meat to taste different, so I'm going to take this baby calf and I'm going to pen it so that it can't even walk. You know, to me, it was extremely offensive, but that's because I was a dairy farmer, not a cattle farmer. We weren't killing them for beef, you know, and we ended up developing a real relationship. Like, our cows were like pets, and the entire mm. notion of doing that to a calf was absolutely disgusting to us. Um, and the funny thing, I mean, to, to finish that, because we were honest farmers and did not rely on fake hormones and all that to damage our cows to try to compete, unfortunately, we went out of business because my father would not do things that were unnatural to our cows and you just couldn't compete against the big corporate mass, you know, milk, you know, milk farms. I are, think that that there is a very perfect example of how not becoming evil is um the right thing to do. Your dad couldn't carry on because he had convictions and he had principles and he was forced out of the market because he wouldn't sell out. So fair play to your dad. And what you're saying about the wolves in um in where you live and that, that, that there is a, is a crisis of civilization right there. I mean, killing all the wolves because they're evil in a religious context and then the deer, you know, overpopulate. This is exactly what happened with um, Mao Zedong in China with his great leap forward. And I'm doing the inverted commas sign here with my four fingers, the great <laughs> leap forward, where they decided that sparrows were eating all their maize and corn and wheat. And so they killed all the sparrows in uh, China. And of course, no sparrows mean billions of insects and these insects annihilated their crops spread disease and and uh, Mao Zedong you know he's respected by the UN and Brzezinski and Kissinger saying oh what a great guy responsible for 60 million deaths and so the wolves being annihilated for religion the um, sparrows being annihilated for communism these are all the malaise of civilized modern society and um, yeah that's it well, um, we actually have a couple of callers, Charlie. Do you feel like talking to some callers? Yeah, totally. All right. Um, caller from the 412 area code, you're on the air. You're going to want to pause the show, though. Hello? Uh, I can barely hear you. Are you there? Hello? Yeah, I can Hello? hear you. Hello? Hello? Yeah, um, we can hear you, but I can also hear myself. Welcome to V Radio. Uh, this is Brother Stein's calling in. Uh, I'm in the car, so I guess there's some type of uh, feedback. I, I apologize then. Um, I guess that won't work. Mm-hmm. So oh. what can we do for you? Um, you know, I had a question whenever you guys were talking about um, how the military works. And I, I have a step cousin that's um he's like a special force beret superstar splinter cell Xbox, you know. And um his whole thing his entire life and this isn't this isn't conditioning either because his his parents, um, they're not in that particular mind frame. He was always into guns and like into military and like, you know, playing toy soldiers and you know, blowing shit up like most 13-year-olds did. But he pursued it to the point where where he, you know, became a Green Beret. And, you know, he's over in Afghanistan killing hundreds of people and stuff like that. Um, and I'm thinking, uh, my question, I suppose, was why, why would you say this particular, you know, he's not patriotic either. It's not about, you know, some America type of thing. It's just purely... 
militant thinking. And uh, for what reason would you say that that would develop? Well, Charlie, do you want to answer that? Yeah, sure. Can you hear me there, caller? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, what, what I believe is the issue here. This isn't a, a rare thing that we're talking about this kid who is militant and wants to kill, he wants to go out there and fight. I had that as well. And to a certain extent, it's that, it's that instinct which drives me to fight and the bad guys now. It's the warrior instinct which we need as natural human beings living in a state of nature. Because we we need to defend ourselves, we need to go hunting, we need to you know have tribal fights with uh, other people in the tribe. Because we are testosterone fueled men, and what the um, what the military does, what society does, it hijacks that. And um, if we look at the kind of state and society as a kind of meta projection of our own families, with you know the kind of president is your dad, and uh, the kind of uh, the government is your mum, and so forth as these big things they do hijack your warrior instinct to want to defend and to want to be independent to such an extent. They, they fill your mind with patriotism. They make you play video games. So I don't think it's as simple as saying that, um, you know, young men are brainwashed to the point where they become killers. I think we are all killers naturally. And that's fine because in the state of nature, you will have to kill something to eat some, if you're not going to be vegan. You, you may have to defend uh, yourself if uh, someone invades your tribe and starts killing your family. You might have to kill them. There's nothing unnatural about that. But um, because we are living in modern industrial society, it's become very perverted and very um, hijacked by, by the system we live in. And people are sent out there to not fight for their families, to not fight for their kin, to not fight for their tribe, but to fight for for something very fake, which is a big country, which is the president, which is the prime minister. It's, it's fake. It's people you don't know. You're killing other people you don't know. The personal aspect of it has been removed. And uh, video games play a very important role in that. It's in actually... That, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, video games play a very important role in that, in that it completely desensitizes you to the point where, you know, you start thinking, well, the enemy is just pixels on the screen, and, you know, blow them to pieces, and, you know, then we have a... British boys in tanks in Iraq, who they don't see the enemy. They see a small screen on the inside of their tank. They put the crosshairs on the enemy, and they fire the shell. And it's exactly like playing Splinter Cell or Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. It's the exact same thing. And it's interesting that you pointed that out. I mean, especially with these Predator planes, it really is like playing a video game. We have people here in the United States piloting these drones in Afghanistan, you know, uh, that's it, it. Really has become that impersonal, and I think that it, unfortunately, the the more uh, war becomes mechanized in that fashion, the more easy it will be for people to be desensitized to that. And that's it's interesting. Something uh, Sapolsky, uh, who's one of the professors in the beginning of Zeitgeist, uh, moving forward, pointed out that exact thing. Actually, was that the same people that are you know that are piloting planes that you know blow up people in Afghanistan that you know are going to their daughter's dance recitals on that same day you know they get off work and then they go watch their daughter dance at a dance recital it doesn't even occur to them that they probably just blew up somebody else's family members you know and that's it, that's one of the more dangerous things about it and it's funny that you brought that up uh charles um i don't know if you're familiar with his work uh but uh professor roger stahl did a movie called militainment incorporated he also did a book um, and it talks exactly about what you're talking about. And he's getting ready to do a film about video games in particular, 
um, called uh, Returning Fire, which is a look at the, the video gaming war culture. Militainment is about how they kind of convince us that it's an extension of our manhood uh, to become, you know, like you said, exploiting those ideas of the testosterone and the, you know, the, the concept of, yeah, I want to be tough, so I'm going to be a soldier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when I had my interviews with him, and I've had Roger on the show twice, um, and we're going to have him on again about his new film eventually, uh, you know, we talked about that you don't really think about it. I I went back and watched these these films. This is something that I did when I when I realized that Jock was talking about how you know, we're made by our environment. So I went back and watched the movies that I used to like when I was a kid. And one of them randomly was, uh, it was called The Boy Who Could Fly. And it's just like a little Disney movie about this guy who can fly. But that, that isn't even the point of what it is that came up was that the, the main character was the heroine of the story. Her little brother was totally just G.I. Joe'd you know, to the hilt, like wearing camouflage every day. I remember when camouflage was, you know, was considered you know a fashion statement in school had all the gi joe characters at a gi joe big wheel gi joe this gi joe that and it's and it's interesting because you know it we really were in a culture that was preparing us for what we thought was going to be when the cold war turned into the not so cold war you know and we had all these movies that were essentially propaganda films to try to brainwash us into thinking that the soviets were all evil um, and I'm not saying that there weren't evil Soviets because there were, but the same thing was going on in Soviet Russia. Um, and it's and it's the reason why to this day you can say the word communism in the United States and it sends chills up people's spines is not because people know anything about the economic systems proposed by Marx, but because they know about gulags and Siberia and all of the other, you know, uh, terrible things that came out of Khrushchev and Stalin and all of those, you know, and we were reminded of that in propaganda over here to prepare us for that war. And in, over in Soviet Russia, the same thing was being done about us. You said the word capitalism over there, and they and they got the same you know feeling. And we were essentially being used as pawns at that point. Um, so, um, I, caller, I, the reason I muted you is because you were you were echoing onto the show. But I, I think we've answered your question. I'm going to bring on another caller. Um, caller from the four five zero area code. You're on the air. Hi, Charlie. This is Rafi calling from Montreal. Hey. Uh Hi, I, I finally got to, to talk to you on the phone. Um, what The feeling I get on this, it's, I mean, it's really interesting to hear uh, what you're doing, Charlie, and uh, what many others are, are voicing their opinions and giving up the facts. Uh, but I believe uh, after many decades of awakening, uh, the white sheep who are becoming black sheep, I think the next step would be to get out of the sheep mode because... It is not productive to stay in the sheep mode. What I mean by sheep mode is uh, complaining, uh, looking at the government as, as being bad and uh, trying to figure out what to do with it. And, uh, and what do we do after? Once we have all the information, which we do for most of it, we have enough information to go forward. And now what, what do we do with the, with the information? Is the answer trying to get the white sheep to wake up and become black sheep? I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think that's the answer for me. Uh, that has That's becoming old, and it's becoming an old way of doing things. It has served us just like religion has served us in the past. Uh, we have gone forward, and we don't need a religion anymore. And I think at this point, uh, we do not need the black sheep mode anymore. Uh, the answer for me is, like I communicated with you on by email, is to uh, go on with the individualization uh, of, of the of the individual. 
becoming more individual, uh, which is what's happening exactly uh, at this at this point. But I think uh, we, we need to put much more effort, much more time and energy into it, into the individual, instead of trying to find solutions outside the individual. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if you follow what I'm saying exactly. No, I, I believe I do follow exactly what you're saying. Um, rather than white sheep turning into aggressive, revolutionary black sheep, we should maybe, instead of looking for other big structures to replace the structures we already have, just kind of break it down completely to the point where society, well, civilized, industrialized society is impossible because no one wants to be part of a giant cult, which is statism. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm not sure if I follow you, but uh, I, I think uh, if, if, we, if we keep on doing what we're doing right now in, in, in the most part, just like David Icke is or Alec Jones is, I think we're playing in their hands. Uh, I don't think they're that much afraid of it. Uh, obviously, they, 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 they prefer not that to happen, but they're not, uh, they're, not, they're, not, they're not afraid of what's happening right now at a point for, to change anything. I think the, 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 their biggest fear is for the individual to become an individual, a free-thinking individual, which is exactly what's happening. But, but uh, to my opinion, uh, it's not happening often enough. Uh, people like you have so much more power in hand. I mean, you have, you have the will and you have the courage to do what you're doing. Uh, if you change slight uh, direction to it or see it in a, on a different angle, uh, is stop playing in their hands by getting angry mm -hmm. and trying to change things, but but promote individualism, just like you're doing. You are you are becoming you are, you have become an individual. That's why you're able to do what you're doing. So guide people, teach people to do exactly what you're doing without the outside force. Tell them to just like you have done to go inside and to to change your life. This that's where the that's where the real changes and that's where the real courage is. It's not to to dictate people or to recommend people to do this and that and that. You give the information. That's one thing. And next thing is, what do you do with the information? So you you pro you probably know more than I do at this point. But my recommendation to do to you is put your efforts into that instead of trying to change things outside. Teach people. Okay, no, uh, I hear you. How to do it inside. Yeah, I, I think I fully understand. And one thing I'm going to want to do now, as I mentioned at the start of this uh, radio broadcast, was um, I want to offer an alternative in terms of, as you say, people being individuals again. And it's, uh, it's almost as if we need to play the same game that the bad guys are playing using a bit of propaganda, but a kind of, maybe a, a kind of morally good propaganda to try and say, hey, being different, not being a sheep, is actually the sexiest, coolest, most liberating thing you can do. And maybe give examples of people who have broken free, people who aren't involved in war and capitalism and killing and religion and so forth. So uh, it's just for me, uh, this is what I wrestle with every single day, Collar, is, um, you know, how, how, how best can I, you know, make use of my time? And I think maybe a balance between fighting that which is evil, because I think it's so vital and that can wake up so many people to see someone doing what they can against evil, but also not turning into a monster myself. Because they know the saying, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back into you. And if my whole life is um, dominated by fighting and aggression and hating bad people, then I'll be full of hate. So there needs to be, there needs to be a solution in terms of trying to get people 
to kind of pull away. And in a way, it's just like the film The Matrix. We have to go in there and unplug people and take them back to the real world. And yeah, you're right. There, there doesn't need to be any great violence or brutality against people. And, but this just shows, this is very humbling for me because it shows just how unenlightened and how very early on my path of spiritual enlightenment I am because I still have these very aggressive, very warlike feelings. And when I see, um, you know, when I see footage of children with their legs blown off by big British bombs in the Middle East, it, it really, it fills my blood with hate and rage and a desire to just hunt down these people in power and whatever it takes, assassinations, a 10-year resistance campaign to make sure that justice is served to them. But, you know, that's the kind of imperfect, kind of brutalized societal Charlie Veach. There is this other Charlie Veach where I just want to, you know, that I do believe in the eternal consciousness. There is something fractal, something holographic and beautiful behind us that will go on forever. And everything that we see around us is a kind of moral test of, of spirit. And um, in a way, if if we are to try and be the best human being we are, um, I guess it would be the relationship between a mother and a son or between a father and a son. And, you know, say if I was um, Dick Cheney's dad, I probably wouldn't want to rip Dick Cheney in half and torture him and kill him because he's my son. And that's the kind of spiritual enlightenment which I'm trying to work towards. But unfortunately, I'm not there yet. And that's actually an excellent point. Um, in addition, though, I would like to point out to the caller, because I've been somebody who's kind of moved in the full spectrum of things. Um, there's a, I guess I would call him an anarcho-socialist, because he doesn't believe in a big state, but um, his name is Patty Joe Shannon, um, and he made a, a brief film called Capitalism and Other Kids Stuff. And one of the things that he points out from the socialist point of view is that we, we have to be careful about individuality, not to say we shouldn't be individuals, because we absolutely should, but there are some elements in the, for example, in the libertarian right that I think take that so far that they're terrified of working with anybody else to do anything. Um, if you have any group of people doing anything, they, they scream the word collectivist, like, you know, that's a bad thing. Um, when the reality is, is that working together with other people willingly is, is fine. And in fact, as Patty pointed out, it actually serves the, the evil, quote unquote, evil elite if we're all only worried about ourselves. And that's one of the things that scares me the most about the, the capitalist system, particularly if we go free market, is that it encourages everybody only to care about themselves because anything shorter than that, and, and it's not profitable. And when you think about it, that system really plays into the hands of any small elite. You know, um, if you, you can see capitalism and other kids stuff, you can find it on Google Video. Um, and he points out the different ways. You know, he uses an analogy like basically what if we had a kindergarten and we gave all the toys to one child, you know, what kind of things would that child do to try to make sure that everybody else never took his all the toys? You know, what kind of power would he have because he had all the toys? And in one of those examples, um, you know, he pointed out that divisions were really important to, to, you know, this person that he called Rex, this little boy who wanted to keep everybody, you know, because he didn't want any, he didn't want them to figure out that there were many of them and only one of him. He didn't want them to figure out that they could work together to throw off his tyranny. He didn't want them to figure that, you know, and there was actually, I think it was either ants or a bug's life where the grasshoppers were pushing the ants around. And at one point, uh, one of the grasshoppers says something that, you know, ang angers one of the tyrants in the situation. He's like, are you an idiot? You know, he's like, don't talk about that. Have you, do you know what would happen to us if the, all the ants figured out that there's so many more of them than there are of us? You know, and they had this oppressive regime that they kept in by keeping everybody 
under wraps and, you know, and pushing them down and intimidating them. And the notion that people could figure out, hey, you know, there really is a lot more of us than there are of them was extremely dangerous to their hold on things. Because as long as we're only individuals and as long as we only care about ourselves without recognition for the fact that we're also part of a greater whole as well as being individuals within that whole, it's very easy because, you know, you see this, for example, uh, I watched a study recently about they, they, they staged this incident where this guy pretended to be abducting a little girl. And he did it over and over again on the same street corner. And the the really hilarious thing about this at the end was it was kind of a big middle finger to the racists because there were several groups of, you know, rich suburban white people who did nothing when this little girl was being, quote unquote, abducted. It ended up being two young black males dressed in like, you know, typical gangster rap outfits that were the only people that replied or tried to do anything to help this little girl. And I think part of that is because, you know, in the inner city where I grew up, you get more of an attitude of we need to stick together because nobody's looking after us. You know, whereas people, you know, in suburban you know areas have a tendency to think, well, everything's fine. And, you know, I shouldn't have to sacrifice anything for myself. I got my 2.5 kids and my gas guzzling Hummer and my honey baked ham. You know, uh, it, it's the difference in attitude that comes with that. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that, yes, be an individual, but recognize that as an individual, anything that's good for all of humanity is also good for you. Anything that's good for your group that you happen to be part of is also good for you because uh, the same kinds of oppressive forces, you know, that's, this is another thing I tell people. I'm like, you know, we can't all be fighting each other because the, our opposition is not fighting each other. They're getting together at Bilderberg group meetings and they're discussing the future of our race, independent of us. They've got their team. They've got their hierarchy. They, they know what they're doing. They're organized. And that's why they're winning. And as long as we continue all taking swipes at each other, oh, you're a New World Order, you're a Freemason, this, or, you know, I don't like you because you're, you're using technology. Well, I don't like you because you're not using technology. And I don't like you because you don't want to use money. That's all nonsense. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what any small group of elite would ex want us to be doing, is fighting each other. And that's why I say... It is good to be an individual. Be sure that at the same time, though, that as an individual, you recognize that there are other people on this earth. And even uh, in a selfish perspective, it is still to your best interest that every individual, including yourself, ha you know, has a good life. I'd like to make a point on that, if, you, if I may. Go ahead. Uh, you said that uh, what they want is for, for, for us to, to fight against each other. What I believe is that what they want us is to fight with ourselves. Uh, that's that's the ultimate uh, division that uh, they want to create. Uh, fighting fighting against each other underneath underneath that, if you go to the root of it, it's the fighting with myself that I create. Fighting with others, that's my whole point. Instead of changing the outside to reflect to, uh, to me uh, to my reflection, is I create my inside first. Once I once I uh, cut once I change myself and I stop the division which I carry inside inside me, the fighting will stop around me because the fighting around me is, is a direct reflection to what I carry inside. That's what, that's what most people, that's, what, that's, that's the hard part to, for people to understand because we have been trained and we have, we have been brainwashed to constantly go outside of ourselves and fix whatever we want to fix. That, that is not the solution. The solution is to go inside. 
Well, and, I, and I don't and, and I don't disagree with you on that caller, and and I want to thank you for calling in. Um, I want to make sure the airways are open. So, um, yes. thanks for thank calling into V Radio. Thank you very much. Now, um, hold on a second. There we go. Um, Charlie, actually, th this brings up an interesting incident that I saw in one of your videos that uh, was really moving to me, and I was hoping maybe you could detail it some on the air. Was that this yeah. kind of brings into what I was suggesting was the fact that um, there was that time when some police were going to arrest you illegally, and other groups of people came together and stopped them. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, that was in a shopping mall called uh, Westfield in uh, West London, and uh, there's about maybe 50 of us just uh, speaking. There was no megaphones. We were just speaking loudly, and the shopping mall security and the management were all quite friendly to us and fine. But we went outside a store called Topshop, and it's just a you know, regular fashion shop, you know, big chain brand. And uh, we kind of all congregated outside it, and the, the shop staff said, oh, these people are, you know, preventing people shopping. So they called the police, and there's about five or six police against 50 of us. And because I was the one doing most of the hollering and shouting and speaking, they decided to approach me with handcuffs. And as you saw in the film, all these people jumped between me and the... And the police and said, nah, sorry, human beings, you're not going to act like a little fascist Hitler right now. And you're not going to ruin his afternoon. And I was so proud of them, Neil, for, for actually having the balls to actually say no to authority. And to me, that is the kind of the biggest stage of awakening is to realize that these are just other human beings as imperfect as you or I in a weird black uniform trying to put metal torture devices on people's wrists. So... Yeah, I was super, super proud of them, Neil. But, Neil, I'm going to have to go in about two or three minutes. So uh, That's no what problem. do we do now? <laughs> well, basically, it just means we wrap it up. That's why I said if, if it came to that, we, we would be able to end the show early. The only reason I stuck it on for two hours is I know we're both good talkers, and sometimes that, you know, I didn't want to have a you know a time limit if you were doing anything good, but that's no problem. Um, and I think, Charlie, uh, so the reason I asked you to tell that story is to kind of further point out the issue is that if those people were all thinking as individuals and not getting involved, you to bed in jail, you know, and that's why I say we also have to recognize that even in a selfish sense, it is in my best interest to see to it that nobody else is mistreated because I could be next. No, absolutely. And uh, I actually saw the video clip that you said about the kind of staged little girl getting kidnapped. And it was, as you say, those two kind of black guys who were the only ones that actually turned around and chased them. And um, it was funny to see in that video, those black guys were going to beat the shit out of that guy before the film <laughs> crew came in and said, no, it's fake, don't worry, because they were actually real human beings, and it was it was beautiful. So, no, it's been, a, it's been a very good show, Neil, and thanks for speaking to me at such short notice. As you said earlier, yeah, I did contact you today and say, hey, we should have a chat. And well, really anytime you want to come on, Charlie, I, I really appreciate your work. And um, So go ahead and give them the, your website URL. Okay, yeah, it's uh, www.cveech.org, that's C-V-E-I-T-C-H.org, or just type in The Love Police into the Internet, and the Internet will provide. And your your uh, YouTube channel is also Cveech, right? That's right, yeah. All right, well, thanks again for coming on, and folks, you know, those of you who are still using Facebook, um, and I know Charlie doesn't want you to, but if you still use Facebook... Um, you know, feel free to join the uh, Fans of the Love Police Facebook group and, um, you know, share your videos and stories about Charles's work. So thanks again for coming on, Charlie, and I'm going to go ahead and let you go, and I'll, I'll finish my show um, just like as in just giving my passing announcements and all that. And remember, anytime you want to come on, um, give news. Oh, is, is there any kind of big, like, protest or anything coming up you want to tell anybody about? Or 
Yeah, there's the 26th of March. There's a big generalized protest against uh, the government. Um, there's going to be lots of trade unions. There's going to be students. There's going to be anarchists. There's going to be an assorted ragtag bunch of pirates, ninjas, and revolutionaries. So anyone who's in uh, around London, please come along. We'll pr it'll probably be the usual 11 a.m. at Trafalgar Square in London for the big, big protest. And you're going to be attending the London Zeitgeist or Z-Day, aren't you? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I've sent them an email today. I hope they get back to me because I'd love to go along. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Charlie, for being on. Um, and uh, once again, folks, make sure that you check out the work of the Love Police uh, and uh, contribute to Charlie's work because he, like I, is kind of like an activist who works on donations. So consider helping him out because the work that he's doing is very important. So thanks again, Charlie. And um, remember, anytime you want to come on V Radio, all you have to do is exactly that. I don't mind being jumped on on the spot. That's why I said you want to go today. So <laughs> thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks, Neil. All the best to you. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. All right. Well, that was an excellent uh, conversation um, with Charlie Veach of the Love Police. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to V Radio. Please visit my website, vradio.org, v hyphen or v minus radio.org. There you can see archives of shows just like this one. Um, you can also see my must-see TV list. It's a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that I think are must-see. Um, in addition to that, if you liked what you heard tonight and you've listened to other shows, don't you know hesitate to consider a donation. Um, as I pointed out, this is kind of like uh, you know my effort to try to help, um, and I'm looking at lowering the donation. Anytime, for example, I happen to do, be doing well in a month, I turn off my donations for that month because I don't need any help. It is only on a, a need basis, essentially. Um, and uh, I also have stuff that you like. If you were planning on buying, like I said, I don't I don't really like to, to push anything. But if you were planning on buying any of the stuff that's on my little Amazon. Widget. Um, if you were planning on buying it anyway, you might as well get it there and you put a little kickback to V Radio. Lots of good documentaries, books there, and stuff of that nature. I also have uh, T-shirts and stickers and stuff—not stickers, but coffee mugs, things like that. With uh, this shit's got to go, <laughs> and a picture of Jacques Fresco um, underneath it. But all of that stuff, you know, is just because essentially, you know, you could be spending your money on cable and getting CNN piped to you, or you could donate a small amount of money to efforts like mine or like Charles's to get the kind of news and commentary that you're getting today from V Radio. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to V Radio. Also, um, if you guys like this show and you, you can get a free Blog Talk Radio account, it'll allow you to participate in the chat, and you can click Follow. And if you click Follow, um, it will uh, also send you an email anytime I schedule a show. Um, and In addition to a reminder before that show, and anytime you miss a show, don't worry about it. It's always automatically recorded, um, and you can listen to the archives later. And uh, finally, uh, you can also add my Facebook group, uh, my Facebook account, and my Twitter are all available in the contact area. Thanks again, everybody, for listening tonight, uh, to tonight's show, at least tonight for those of you in England. And um, thank I'm going to leave you with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.